Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. It's not the evening. This is not pre-recorded. This is Sunday morning. I'm so used to preaching in the evening or young stuff like that. So good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. I um, really want to thank you for the opportunity to have me back. Uh, it uh, hasn't been too long since I've done your Wednesday night service, which is but glad to be uh, able to, to step in. My pastor been away. So if you grab your Bibles with me this morning, if you turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 this morning, um, we're going to look at um, how to respond to the madness in the world. You know, we live in a crazy world and, uh, you know, it's just sometimes it's good to reflect about really where we stand and where we should be at and what we should be doing. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'm glad you could be with us. Um, I'm standing in our junior church room in our church um, our service is just finished downstairs, and uh, we are uh, we are like you, uh, doing a lot of stuff online and doing whatever we can to, to make things work in this difficult uh, time. Uh, family are all doing well, so thank you for your prayers and financial support. You are a huge blessing to our family. We really appreciate you. Uh, so keep that up. Keep faithful to your missionaries and and, and the giving and, and all those things that are important. Uh, this morning, though, we are going to look at uh, verse 11. If you read verse 11 with me and then we'll pray. It says uh, in Luke 6, 11, and they, were, uh, and they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. They were, they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray and thank you, Lord, for uh, lovely weather outside, a blessing to be able to be uh, in church, watching church online, and, and Lord, just been able to come and hear your word being preached and, and meet together, fellowship together. And Lord, we just ask, oh God, that you would just touch our hearts this morning. May it just not be another online service that we're attending because it's Sunday morning, but would you give us open hearts that we might receive and look to, to do all that you would have us to do and be the, the men and women and, and young people that you would want us to be. Lord, do a, a store and change and work in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, um, we live in a country that I believe has gone insane. I believe it's mad. I think everywhere I go, I see madness. This morning on my way to church, uh, I was in the Littles car park. And, uh, you know, it's it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And I see a drug deal going down in the Littles car park. All the, the people in there doing their shopping and stuff like that. Well, some are doing shopping for messes and, and their food and stuff like that. And there's drug deals going on in the car park outside across the road from our church. And at just very strange times, as blasé as you would uh, want it to be, it was just crazy. But the more I'm on social media, the more I listen to what's going on in the world, I think we have all gone insane. And, you know, it's, it hasn't all, it's always been like this. There's always been madness in the world. There's always been a crazy things happening in, in the world. But, you know, I think I'm more shocked now than more than ever than, than really how far we have gone and how strange things have gotten you know i'm not sure as churches that we will ever get back to pre-covid times i think a lot of churches won't start off to start up their evening services i think a lot of stuff is going to be let aside and we'll never get back there again uh, unless god does a mighty work and um, i think we're sitting at home you know in your pajamas <laughs> that's not to, to get after you if you're sitting in your pjs this morning uh, I'm just glad you're listening. Uh, but you know what? To get back to the place where we're in church multiple times a week, that we're out 
uh, serving the Lord in our communities. It's hard to get back there when you haven't done it for a year. You know, we live in a crazy time. It's a crazy day and age. You know, it's a day and age where it's, it's dangerous to have a biblical worldview. You know, if you have a biblical worldview, um, people think you're insane. And, you know, um, people think you're nuts. But, you know, we got to stand strong and we got to remember that we need to be followers of the book, not followers of our culture. We need to be people that are obedient to the book, not just to fit in with the crowd. The crowd always changes. What they believe changes day in, day out. What's good for them today will be different next week. And uh, we need to stand on what God's word says. You know, we're looking at a passage this morning in Luke 6. And uh, it's a real interesting passage. And the more I studied and the more I read about it, uh, the more interesting it became to me. And uh, we're, we're, we're looking at the fact that the religious crowd were filled with madness. You know what? In our day and age, I suppose it's not the religious crowd that we're concerned about. It's probably the liberal crowd. It's the... It's the, it's the crazy politicians. It's the, the crazy ideas. Our world is getting turned upside down right now. But you know what? At times when you have a biblical worldview, you're going to find that people get mad with you. You're going to find that people get frustrated with you and that they, they, they lose their minds with you. So um, this morning we're looking at Jesus and Jesus is always the, the one that we go back to and we look at how he reacted and how he acted. And um, he was... Um, out and Jesus was doing what he always done. He was going and reaching people. He was healing people. He was delivering people from, from sin, from sickness, from death. You know, he was just about his father's business. And uh, in this story in Luke 6, we, we come to Jesus and where is he? He's in the synagogue. Uh, it was the Sabbath. Somebody was sick. Uh, there was a group of skeptics and scoffers and super spiritual hypocrites around. And, and they're always going to be around. They're, they're around in every day and age. And, uh, you know, Jesus is there. But there's also a man that's sick. There's also somebody there that has a, a massive need and he's like, that he can do nothing about. And Jesus is there. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is going to heal this man. This is the man with the withered hand. His hand is, is ugly to look upon. His hand doesn't work. You know, it, it's hidden walking around. You know, he's ashamed of it. He can't use it. He has that disability. He can't provide for his family, right? He wants to do the right thing. And here he is. He's in the right place. He's, he's in the synagogue. He's there listening to the word. You know, uh, he should be around the right people, but, but some of the people in the synagogue weren't the right people. But he's there trying to do right. And Jesus is there. And uh, it's on the Sabbath day. It's the holy day. And, uh, you know, the scribes and Pharisees, you know, when they see that Jesus heals this man, they go absolutely nuts. You know, uh, the verse says that um, they were all filled with madness. You know, they just weren't happy that Jesus uh, healed this man. Uh, but make no mistake, their madness involved a whole lot more than Jesus just healing somebody on the Sabbath day. You know, that was only the excuse they used. You see, they were all upset because they had no heart for the needy people around them. They didn't care one way or another about this man and his withered hand. They were more interested in, in showing Jesus up. They were more interested in getting Jesus to do something that they felt was wrong that they could use against them than they were about this poor man's need. You know what? They were all filled with madness. Well, why were they filled with madness? They were filled with madness. Look at verse 8 with me. 
They're filled with madness because he knew their thoughts. He knew their thoughts. The scribes and Pharisees weren't willing to say what they were really thinking. You know what? Their thoughts were distorted, disconnected. They were dysfunctional. And they wouldn't say their thoughts out loud. They kept them to themselves. But you know what? When you're dealing with God, he always knows your thoughts. He always knows your thinking. He knows what you're, what's going through your mind. And here's a man with a withered hand. And instead of trying to help him and minister to the man and support the man and, and even tell the man about the one that could heal him, they sat and watched. And they didn't care. That man's need never touched their hearts. They weren't interested at all. Uh, they, they had no thoughts about uh, helping him at all. May that never be said about us and our churches. We can't go and sing Onward Christian Soldier on a Sunday and then sit at home and do nothing to reach the world on a Monday. You know, we need to be active in our Christianity. We need to be active serving and reaching our community, supporting them, reaching out, and doing all that we can to be a testimony to a lost and dying world. You know, the religious people's agenda was more important than, than this poor man's well-being. Uh, and, you know, they weren't happy with him getting healed. They weren't interested in, in anything like that. You know, they, they couldn't see the needs around them because they spent all their energy and efforts focused upon on looking for uh, wrong in other people's lives. Don't get caught in that trap where you're looking at, you're looking at what everybody else is doing or not doing instead of focusing upon what you should be doing. We can fall into that trap that easy. You know, we need to not be like that. We need to be just focused on what we're responsible for and doing all that God would have us to do. It really doesn't matter what the fella across the road or what the church down the road does or doesn't do. You just make sure that you as a believer, you as a church, you're doing what God would want you to do. You know what? They, they weren't interested in uh, making uh, this man's life any better or supporting this man in any way. They were only interested in making Jesus look bad. And, you know, that consumed them. They sat in a place of authority, of prominence, and, you know, thinking that they're thinking their thoughts, scheming and conniving. And, you know, they weren't interested in the needs of the, the people around them. They weren't interested in teaching people what God says and how they should live and how they can get close to God. They were only interested in catching Jesus out and making themselves look good. You know what? But Jesus walks in and he knows their thoughts. Immediately he reads their minds. And, you know, we're often silenced uh, by what people might think of us if they give our opinion about something, but not Jesus. Jesus has the courage to say what he thinks to do what he should do. And you know what, we don't often have that. Why? Because it can cost you your job nowadays. You can get kicked off social media for saying stuff. You know what, you, 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 your opinion is being pushed down and suppressed all the time. You know what, you put certain comments on Facebook and they'll tag your comment on Facebook and basically say that you're not telling the truth. And you know what, that's the way it is nowadays. So, you know, don't hold your Facebook account too precious because it could be gone tomorrow. You know what? But Jesus can read their minds. You know, he knew exactly what they were thinking. He could look straight into the heart of these men. And that same Christ that knew their thinking, that same Christ knows our thinking, knows my thinking, knows your thinking. And, you know, I always say to the men, you know, up in the home, I say, you know what? We're going to have to get to the place where where you examine your thinking, that you get your thought life under the microscope. How is your thought life? 
because in the program I can get you not to take drugs by just being in this environment, but I can't solve your thinking problem. Only God can do that. You know, I'd love to be able to plug plug them into the TV and, and play their thoughts on the big TV for everybody to see. But you know what? We can't, we can't do that. We probably are frightening thing to do that. The thing is, God knows our thinking. It's not hidden from him. And it's a terrifying thought. We can be faith to everybody else. We can dress right. We can talk right. We can even do right. It doesn't mean we're thinking right. It's not about what you do. It's how you think. Jesus will uh, judge you according to how you think as well as what you do. Bible gives it, says this, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you know if you struggle with your thinking? The Bible says, God says that you can bring every thought into captivity. There is not a thought that you can have that you can't pull down, that you can't bring into captivity, that you can't uh, get control over it. God says you can. He wants you to be in control of your thinking. You know what? Jesus knew what these men thought. And you know, it's a similar situation in the, in the previous chapter, in chapter 5, where there's a man with the palsy brought, brought and lowered down through the roof. And uh, Jesus says unto him, Man, thy sins be forgiven you, in verse 20. And in verse 21 and 22, the scribes and the Pharisees uh, says, began saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said unto them, what uh, reason ye in your hearts? What's he doing? He's challenging them about what they think. He's asking them, what are you thinking about men? Come on, tell me, what are you, what are you thinking in your heads? What are you thinking in your hearts? And uh, they didn't want to say at that point. You know, the, the scripture tells us in other places that Jesus has the ability to, to read the heart of man. John 2, 24 and 25 says this. It says, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. Uh, and uh, neither that, uh, not that they should testify of man, but he knew that was in what was in men. Jesus knew what was in men. You know what? God knows what's going on in your heart. Uh, he knows what's going on in your life. And that is one of the reasons why we hide from our Bibles when we're not doing well. Because sin will keep you from the book or the book will keep you from sin. So if you're hiding from the Bible, that's normally an indication that there's something going on in your heart and in your thinking. Because you know, a familiar verse for us all, I'm sure you have learned it down there in Palancholic, Hebrews 4.12, talks about the Bible. It says the Word of God is quick, powerful, sharp than any two-edged sword piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word will speak to your thinking. It will speak to your heart. You know what? God knows what's going on in your heart. You know what frustrated these men? You know what made these men angry? Because Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their thinking. You know what he done? He dismantled their theology. Look at verse 9 with me. And it says, and, uh, and uh, Jesus said unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful? So, 
you know, I suppose one of the most dangerous places you can be in life is in the midst of somebody that um, has a religious belief and you're going to tell them actually their religious belief isn't biblically right. You know, I remember getting on a plane years ago, flying to Chicago. Claire got a seat with Pastor Gorman and stuff up the other end of the plane. And I was the only one that got a seat somewhere else. Um, so I, I'm sitting on my own. They're all sitting together. So um, maybe that's a bonus. Maybe that's not. But anyway, I sit on the, I sit on the, on the plane. And uh, this little old lady comes down. And I'm happy that I'm sitting beside a little old lady and not some big, huge guy. Uh, and I'm sitting beside this old lady. And she turns around to me and she pulls out this bottle of holy water. And, uh, and she says, hello, my name is, and she gave me her name, I can't remember, and she, I gave her my name, and she says, how are you? I says, how are you? It's nice to meet you. And she says, would you like some holy water? And I says, oh, no, I, I don't believe in the holy water stuff around like that, no. And, uh, you know, I turn around because I hear something behind me, and next of all, she's sprinkling holy water all over me, <laughs> and I'm really, I'm really splashes and wet all over me. And uh, she wasn't taking no chances that some unbeliever that didn't believe in holy war was sitting beside her. She didn't want the plane going down because of my unbelief. But, uh, you know, you can upset people when you don't follow along with their uh, religious belief system. And you, you say, no, that's not biblical. But Jesus was challenging their theology. He was challenging them about what they were thinking, about what they were doing. And, um, you know, if you turn over to Mark chapter 7 for a minute, you know, um, look at verse uh, 7 and 9 with me. It says, How be it uh, in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and commands of men? That he said unto them, in verse 9, uh, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. You know what? Oftentimes religion ends up being to the place where it's just man's religion, it's just man's ideas. And we have people following all these rules that really aren't biblical. And we need to make sure we never get to that place in our churches where we are just dishing out religion. We need to be Bible based in all that we do and say. And, uh, you know, uh, what was happening in this day and age is that the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were just doing their own thing and making stuff up as they went along. Um. Matthew 23, turn to Matthew 23 with me for a minute. Um, you know, the religious people of the day, uh, the scribes and Pharisees and people like that, they, they always had a two-tier system. They always had stuff that you should do that, that they didn't really need to do or they didn't think they needed to do. But you know what? God doesn't work like that. God always works. He has one system. There's always one way. There's not two ways to heaven. There's not two ways to do things. God is very clear on how he lays out the pattern for our churches, for the pattern of our Christianity and what we should do and how we should live and all that kind of stuff. Look at verse uh, chapter uh, 23 of Matthew. Look at 2 uh, to 4. We read verses 2 to 4. Saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe that, uh, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. For they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay on them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So what do they do? They say and do not. So the religious people of the day were, were you know, hypocrites. They were just telling people to do stuff that they didn't even do. And, you know, it's, they, they couldn't defend their position. They, you know, they, 
they, they didn't even answer Jesus' question in those times. So let's look back at, at Luke for a minute. You know what? In, in, Luke, uh, in Luke 6, when we're looking at the story of the man with the withered hand, you know, and they've done the same in Luke 8. Uh, if you read Luke 8, uh, so let me read Luke 8 here and then we go back to Luke uh, 6. Sorry, John 8. We'll go back to Luke 6. And John 8, um, it says this, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 3, uh, brought unto him a woman that was taken in adultery and set her in the midst. And they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery and lived very young. And Moses in the law commanded us uh, that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And they said that tempting that they might uh, accuse him. You see, over and over again in the scripture, you will find when, when, you're, when you have Jesus uh, doing what he was doing, you had people that didn't like that. And when they didn't like that, what they would do is they would try set traps for Jesus. And Jesus was always the master in getting, in a sense, out of those traps or going right through them. So in the passage where, um, you know, the, the woman's caught in adultery, well, why didn't they deal with the woman in, the, in adultery if that's what they, if that's what they believed? Because they brought the girl to Jesus, and it's a, it's a bigger story, I suppose. But when they were bringing the girl to Jesus, it was all about them, that they're tempting him that they might have to accuse him. You know what, look at where it says, 7 of Luke 6 with me. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. So what were they looking to do? They were trying to trap him. They were waiting to see what he would do. You know, of all the things that Jesus did on that day, the biggest one he done was triggering them. You know, they were all upset. They were just waiting for him to do it. And he looked at them and he knew their thoughts. He knows their traditions. He knows their religion. And Jesus did what he wanted to do anyway. He wasn't in the slightest bit intimidated. He wasn't, he didn't care about their spine or their scoffing or their skepticism or their scheming. You know, people that want to uh, intimidate you, they want to shut you down so you don't speak up or do what you should do. But don't be intimidated. Look what Jesus done. He completely disregarded what they taught. He didn't care what they taught. He didn't hesitate to do what was needing to be done. He acted. And I love this about Jesus because he could have done the politically correct thing that most people would do. He could have just walked away, whispered in the guy's ear, look, meet me down the road or I'll see you tomorrow. You know, he could have just been quiet, but he didn't. He could have walked away. He could have waited for another time. He could have sent someone to ask the man with the withered hand outside or do something like that. He could have done a lot of different things, but he didn't. What did he do? He didn't let their traps and their watching and their waiting and their chance to catch him and intimidate him, stop him from doing what he should do. Let's look at verse 8. Matter of fact, he calls the man in the midst of the synagogue and he made him an object lesson. You know, look at verse 8. And he knew their thoughts. And said to the man which had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. You know, he knew how they would respond. You know, verse 10, looking round about at all of them, he said unto the man, you know, well, Jesus was looking at them all when he done this. And, uh, you know, Jesus didn't falter in his opportunity to demonstrate God's power. He flaunted that in front of them. He showed who he was. 
Jesus didn't shield his power. He proved it. He showed it. He didn't hide it. He held it up. He didn't disguise it. He displayed it. And they were all filled with madness. And they communed with one another uh, what might be done, what might they do to Jesus. You know, he didn't go into hiding. He didn't compromise. He didn't negotiate. He didn't invite them uh, for a friendly chat. He didn't try to build bridges with them. You know, he didn't try uh, you know, make apology to them. He didn't change what he'd done in the Sabbath. You know, Jesus, looking around at them all, said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. He didn't care what they thought. He says, I'm still going to do the work of my father, no matter what anybody else thinks. And so he did. The man did. He'd done what Jesus told him to do. And when you make a stand in your life, when you make a stand and do what God wants you to do, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that people that are watching on, they start doing that too. Sometimes people are just looking for somebody to stand up and lead. And you know what? He did so too. The man did so. I'm sure he was afraid to do that too, standing in the synagogue with all them uh, religious men around, uh, just waiting to get uh, to, to catch Jesus out. But look at the rest of the verse. And his hand was restored whole as the other. When we do what God wants us to do, God always shows up and does a work. And there was a miraculous transformation. And God always does what he does. He saves, he changes, he transforms and delivers. So what did Jesus do? What was his reaction to the madness of the day he was in? He just continued to serve God. He just continued to do the will of the Father. Look at, look at verse 12 with me. And it came to pass in those days that he went into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Right after a passage in the synagogue, what does Jesus do? One thing that was a constant in his ministry was, and he had constant opposition. He, he was under constant criticism, constant controversy, constant con, uh, confrontation. There was always somebody watching over his shoulder, looking to pull him up, looking to find, find him doing something wrong. Uh, but you guess what the constant was in his ministry? Continual prayer. Jesus continued to go, separate himself, take some time and go spend it with God. And when you find that uh, you're in a place where you're being hounded and you feel under pressure about what's going on in this mad world, take some time with Jesus. Go separate yourself and go spend some time in prayer. You know, our first tendency when things are going mad in our lives is to react, is to say stuff, is to lash out, is to get mad. But you know what? Jesus' first response after this happened was to take himself off. It wasn't to pout, but it was to pray. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't plot revenge. He just went out to pray. And he done it all the time. If you read Luke 4, 1, he went out to pray and fast. If you read verse 42 of chapter 4, he prayed again. He prayed again in chapter 5, verse 16, and again in chapter 6, verse 12. Over and over and over again, Jesus went back to this go-to thing of prayer. Prayer with the Father. Separate yourself from what's going on. Separate yourself even from the Christians around them and from the believers and the disciples around me. Separate himself and go pray. Why? Because it's not just about turning up at a church when they're praying. It's about being in prayer when you're on your own. And that's what he'd done. He separated himself. But you know what he kept doing? Even though he was under pressure all the time, even though the people were against him and were mad, and um, what he'd done was 
He always just stayed on point. He always just stayed focused and fixed on what God wanted him to do. And he committed to preparing the disciples. Let's look at verse 13 with me. He committed to training disciples. And verse 14 it says, And when it was day, he called unto his disciples, and of them he chose twelve whom he named apostles. And it gives you the list of the apostles. So right after Jesus heals this man, right after all the people are getting mad with him, what does he do? He goes and prays, and he's straight about the business of God. He's straight about training disciples. He's straight about teaching and training and doing all that he should do. Just because we're in lockdown, it doesn't mean that we get off the hook of reaching the world with the gospel. We need to continue to do the work God has called us to do. We can still witness. We can still reach out. We can still disciple. We can still help those in need. We still have the answer to eternal life. So let me encourage it, George. No matter how mad things get in the world, no matter what crazy stuff is going on, keep going. Keep doing what God wants you to do. Keep doing the will of the Father. Keep inviting people to church, even if it's online. Do all that you can to get somebody listening in. You know, his preaching and his ministry, you know, in ways, they always felt somebody was mad. Somebody was always getting upset when Jesus was preaching. But his response was always to recruit more helpers, to do more, to reach more, to heal more, uh, to go forward or to stay longer. He didn't. He never pushed back. He always pushed forward. You know, and he. We should not get distracted by the madness of all the COVID stuff. Uh, we shouldn't lose sight of what we're called to do or who we're called to be. We are the church of the living God, and we need to press forward and be who God called us to be. We need to follow the biblical example of reaching the world with the gospel. You know what? Don't fall short of giving to missions. As a matter of fact. Get a testimony of taking on more missionaries, even in difficult times. Don't just get comfortable sitting at home and doing church on a Sunday morning from your living room. You know, we need to get back to the place where we're looking forward to meeting again. We need to get out there and do all that we should do. You know what? Jesus never dialed stuff back. He always stepped up. He never retreated. He always recruited. He didn't back down. He, he, he just doubled down. You know, he didn't hit the mute button. He hit the multiply button. And he was always interested in the next group that he was going to uh, reach and the next hound that he was going to visit and the next sick man that he was going to heal or the sick lady he was going to heal. And he was always about the next part of the mission. You know what? Jesus' strategy was simple. You know what? He knew he wasn't here forever. He knew his time was short. He knew one day they would come for him. He knew one day the cross would be in his life. Matter of fact, the cross always hung heavy over Jesus' shoulder. But you know what? That never stopped him from doing what he should do. You know what? Look at verse 17. And, I, and he came down with them, and he stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from Judea to, and Jerusalem, and from this uh, sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, and which came to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases. So what's happening? Jesus isn't saying, you know, I'm not going to do it anymore. That caused lots of trouble, all that healing stuff the last time. What does he do? He goes down and he is in the midst of a great multitude. And he's there to be there to be healed of their diseases. He had just healed a man with a withered hand. And people were angry and mad and conspiring against him. But what did he do? 
he looked for more people. What should we do? We should look for more people. Our world is awash with people who are hurting and broken. Where they're awash with people that have addiction issues that need help. They're awash with people who need help in their marriages, children that need help, you know, young people that need to, uh, need somebody to get alongside and help them. You know, we live in a, a, a day and age where the dysfunctional family is nearly the norm. You know, we need to be a shining light to the world around us, an example of what God can do in a life. You know what? Uh, there's, uh, there's plenty of opportunity. What about the story in 4 Samuel 22 where David was in the cave of Adullam? And uh, in verse 1 and 2 of 4 Samuel 22, it says, David departed the tents, he escaped to the cave of Adullam, and, went, uh, and when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him, and everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in there, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and they with him about 400 men. You know what? Who were the people that David gathered around them? A bunch of nobodies, a bunch of hurting men, a bunch of people that the world says are no good. And you know what, what David done? He turned them into a mighty army. And you know what? They were focused and fixed on following God's man and doing what God would want them to do. You know what, friends? We need to focus on reaching out to the, to the people around them. We live in a crazy, mad world. And it's never, it's not, it's not going to get better. It's only ever going to get worse. You know what? This is, this is probably as good as it's going to get. We need to just press on and do what God would want us to do. You know what? Jesus knew that, that when he started preaching, his doctrine would just get them to go insane. They just couldn't, they couldn't take it. But he didn't water down his message. He didn't uh, hold back. He didn't back down. He didn't stay quiet. He didn't sit down. What did he do? He preached. And then he preached some more. And we need to make sure that we don't get quieted by the world around us. We don't get quieted by the people that, that have a different opinion than us. That we just keep going. You know, the people were filled with madness. But Jesus wanted to motivate. He wanted to mentor. He'd done his ministry. And he continued preaching the message. You know what? Uh, our world has lost its mind in a whole lot of areas. But as a, as a church, we, we need to remain steadfast. We need to remain faithful. We need to remain prayerful. We need to remain sacrificial. We need to be that church, that shining light that the world looks and knows that there's something different there, that they can't answer, that they can't figure out. You know what? We need to remember, no matter what situation is going on in our country or in our world today, we're responsible for fulfilling the Great Commission. We need to take that baton and we need to press on with it. We didn't get a year off. Church, glad I could uh, be with us this morning. But let me finish with this. Jesus didn't lose his head when people got mad and when the world was mad around them. What did he do? He reassessed. He kept going. He started doing discipleship. He started reaching people. He done what the Father wanted him to do. George, don't lose your head. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who works in all circumstances, that you can reach the lost in any day and age, and in any country, and in any situation, in any pandemic, in any famine. 
in any disaster, Lord, you are there and you can draw all men unto yourself. So, Lord, we're asking, oh God, that you would use us as your people as a tool to reach the world around us. And, Lord, we're excited at the opportunities that we have to have an impact in our day and age, on our generation. So, Lord, would you store your people, I pray, this morning, and would you help us to be all that you want us to be. In Christ's name, amen.